0: Asset manager, wealth manager, what is the difference? Um, traditional demarcation lines are broken down. You know, platforms of funds, fund managers, owners and advisors are wealth managers. And why is this happening? And is it good for the end client? And I think you wanted to roll into this
1: vertical integration. Yeah, I mean, for me, this, this kind of is, is about vertical integration mainly. And, um, I mean, it feels like there, there could be an obvious conflict of interest there. And if we look at... Um, so netflix or supermarkets they can um, distribute third party products and also manufacture their own and sell them yeah. but can you really do that in wealth management well, first of all, I think it's probably me who came up with the you're term virtual integration. Yeah. And boy, it's do it's
2: I regret it. Paul, <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> <vertical, laughs> and you're not
0: even a vertical integration
3: no, business. We're no,
2: we're not at all. I was trying to <laughs> ex- un- explain. It,
3: it was <laughs> not Andrew Carnegie. Basically,
2: actually, what do people want? We c- it's what I said before. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I think I need a platform. I think I need a multi-asset <laughs> I, multi-asset a I <laughs> think I need that. They don't do it. They say, I need a bit of help. Okay, I, who do I trust? Where do I go for a bit of help? So really, what we're trying to build is a wealth manager for people who need a bit of help. Yeah. Okay. they, they don't want, like, want to go
1: everywhere. They do. No. They, they want to just go.
0: They would. Well, ideally, they'd like to go well, to one. Well, well people, would they? I mean, well, would in would a way, I, I, what do why want? is it happening? Why? Why Schroders bought a, You know, launched a wealth manager. Or? Well, or, or you, oh, you, you've been snapping up IFAs yeah. and, you know, that's you've been snapping up IFAs. Yeah. But I, like I don't even know that. what Credit Suisse has been so doing more that. We have so much focus. And I heard you're launching, you're, you're, you're going to get into asset management. You're going to launch some <laughs> yeah. funds. Well, you've already be, got your yes. own funds. Yeah, so why going. is all this happening? Is it you want yeah. a bigger chunk of the pie?
3: I, I think what's quite interesting is... Um,
0: sorry, Paul, I yeah, sort yeah, of cut okay. Paul off. Sorry, but we launched our
3: business. Advisors were shareholders in it, Okay. With Ad- advisors advisors at- had to become a shareholders to use nucleus in the early days, okay? Yes. And that was vertical integration, right? And people freaked out by that because of conflict of
0: interest. Yeah, like tra- people transact. Yeah, right?
3: and, and people thought that was a terrible thing, right? And actually so it was Advisors
0: wasn't. owned a stake in the yeah, platform, and they owned half the their business. Right? Clients,
3: and, so. and people screamed this as terrible as conflict but it wasn't. So there was a conflict of interest. But the model meant it was demonstrably cheaper for us to run our business and offer a cheaper customer price because of the operating model. Okay, so the customer got a better deal. So, yeah. vertical integration or convergence, whatever you want to call it, where the customer is getting a better deal is a wonderful thing. Right, it happens in all sorts of industries. It's a great thing. It's to be uh, applauded. And anything we do beyond our current scope of the platform will be entirely with that mindset in mind. Okay, and I think that's a, you saw. I think with what. Um, Ian Cook built, for example, on um, with best practice and enable was a vertical integrated, th- I think that was entirely that same sort of motivation. What we've seen in this industry historically, and I think demonstrably, is that we've seen vertical integration occur in many different ways, but not generally with the customer interest at heart. And I think if you look at the presentation between what companies tell their shareholders and the analysts against what they tell their customers, there's often a spread between the two. And not
0: in every. Case, Any examples? Yeah, yeah. Three they're, initials they're, spring to mind. Uh, no,
3: there, there are many examples. And I'm sure you're well enough researched to go and find them. They're, they're on the, their own websites. But um, and I think you've got to you've got to realise that the if the industry is to be trusted, which is a recurring theme we've had earlier on, if we really want to build that trust. We've got to tell our shareholders the same thing we're telling our customers. And we can't tell our shareholders there's 25 or 3% up for grabs here in the value chain and the other side try and say we're offering a kind of low-cost or competitive proposition to our customers and this kind of charges being concealed all over the place. And I think that transparency thing that's... Convergence, I think, can be a wonderful thing. You can certainly assemble components in a way that makes the end-to-end costs better, the efficiency delivery much better. I don't think there's a lot of evidence of that having happened so far. There's been a whole load of stuff, as you've probably hinted at a minute ago, on three initials in the press in the last few weeks, where um, you know, it just is not demonstrably true that VI models in this country today offer a more competitive proposition in,
2: in general. Hmm. Well, I would disagree with that. <laughs> sure. um, first of all, I'd say we're not a VI model. Um, at all, we offer, we have a open architecture platform. We,
0: but what what bit of what David said do you disagree with?
2: I'd say that in terms of um, providing, first of all, I'd say as it was it Oscar Wilde said, you know, the cynic is someone who understands the price of everything and the value of nothing.
0: It is Oscar Wilde. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> so, what a value Can, is the price is a component of value, and we need to in the industry keep driving down to a certain extent price or ensuring that our customers are are participating in the economies of scale that we we generate. so we need to start passing that on so one of the things in our company we're constantly doing is are we making it cheaper are we doing it more effectively are we passing it on to our to our customers when you have scale and you have people want a solution you can provide that given you've got People need, if, if they want advice, if they need tax structures, yeah. They're yeah. investing most tax efficiently, and money management. If you're doing those, if you can provide those three things, you can provide them at a lower cost. They will have to get them somewhere. Okay? If they have to go and search from, from different components, it can be more expensive. So with us, we do look at that and say it should be much. So you know, I would love to see our industry saying, and I thought we had, you know, no exit charges, no hidden fees, only pay for what you use. <clears> OK, <throat> um, the more you invest, the less you pay. Yeah. I'd love to have these simple principles across our industry. But the other thing I'd like, to, to David's point, is to, is to say, I'm not having to go with our regulator. But I think they have come a long way. But we need outcome-based regulation, not rule-based regulation, where everybody ticks all the boxes. You know, all the big banks went bust. And there was a million paragraphs of regulation in the, in the handbook. And yet they all went bust okay and they were all following the rules okay so we need outcome based regulation and outcomes what do, what matters to clients what matters to clients to David's point is the outcome what they're getting oh,
0: sorry what what is it that David said that you disagree with that, well, there's, there's, no, that,
2: there's no evidence that some are, um, even though we're not a vertically integrated model if you can provide the three components yourselves you can do it you can, and you should be able to do it at a lower cost than getting those three components separately because you've should, got economies should, yeah, of scale. Yeah. I don't believe Look, that's Paul, true. That's Paul, Paul I, I love he you dearly,
0: should. but I did read a new note that said that the cost of investing through Quilter Financial Advisors was. I think, over 10 years was 2.6%, 2. 2.8%. 2. Yeah, so it's that. I can go through through that. I, I know Dave McCann at NUMIS, so I'm not going to get Do you disagree with Dave. that? I do disagree OK, with okay. That. all right. We, we don't have to drill down. I, I felt a, I wanted to say it. Anyone else want to come in on this debate? I mean, you're, you're, you've moved into asset management.
4: Yeah, I think for me, I, I'm a starting point. I think we've seen this played out in the press over the last couple of months now, is that conflicts of interest are there to be managed, not to be run away from. So Yeah, we we they're, they're, be,
0: yeah that was your point, yeah. we they're not necessarily of, bad, of no, but then I think that yeah. comes down
4: to culture as well. It, it does, it's it true. does. So, you know, and then, you know, you are, you know, I, I, almost going back to the advice point before in the in the fintech, I think advice, which you speak to most advisors now, it's more about financial planning is what they see their real, their real value as. Which says to me, the platform bit is commoditized. And maybe controversially, the asset management bit is 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 has been commoditized as well. Yeah. Now, clearly there's always ways you can go and add value on that, but I think the starting point for most advisors now is what we do and what the asset management side is a commodity. What they do is a value add service. And I think they are the most valuable piece in the in, in the, the, the chain. The and therefore the advisors. And therefore yeah. our job then is to look and say, do we back to David's point, can we introduce efficiencies into that? uh into that process so we we launched our, our asset management side so we aim to have uh you know total cost of ownership now is is the figure in the industry that that's the one everyone yeah. you should look to and if you don't you should do um, we we would work on the basis that for a for our passive mps the all-in cost of the platform uh, the mps and the ocf the underlying funds is 50 basis points uh, for active funds, it's 100 basis points, and for passive, the one in between, it's 75 basis points, which then gives the advisor the ability to add on. I personally believe as a customer, I would be thinking 150 basis points as an all-in cost is where I start losing my patience and thinking, you guys had better be good. To be charging more than this, and what we say to the market, all in, all in, all in, everything all included. What I'm saying is that we can offer a solution, an all-in solution, at 50 basis points, which gives the advisor a chance to offer 100 basis points for his service, in a passive world. If if they want to, you know, if they want to go less and go active or a passive solution, but. That, that, that's our view, and so vertical integration for us today, we will never be advisors. We've always said we'll never go into that advice space. That's
0: our red line and we'll never cross. So it's quite tricky given most of your assets on your platform are from advisors.
4: Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, you just
0: know, not choose. competing with your
4: customers. No, yeah, absolutely. And we, we have a direct side as well, which, yeah. you know, far different customer profile, and I think you know, whenever advisors challenge us, I go through and say, look, the average value is about £70,000 and they're doing very different things, very yeah. quickly it ceases to be an issue. So we, we are an advisor firm at heart, just like David's, uh, and I think our job is to accept that we're not the most important thing out there in the world. We just deliver a service, and as long as we do it well and efficiently, I think we keep but advisors. Is is, is is
0: all this happening because it's better for the client, or is all this happening for commercial reasons for the financial services institutions who see, to your point, that the big element of the value chain is in the advice bit and therefore they want to capture that. And also to get closer to the clients, which is also you know, we've, we've got, we've got Is the, it a commercial yeah. imperative? Is it driven by commerce it's or a the national?
5: Clients? I
2: think it's a national imperative. We have no sovereign wealth fund in this country. We have the largest retirement and savings gap in the whole of Western Europe. The, um, <coughs> the state pension, if you're um, <coughs> born, I forget exactly what the date is, certainly, um, the more modern state pension is 170-something pounds a week. Yeah. Try living on that in London. Okay, so the reason why the government announced pension freedoms, to be frank, was not because of philanthropy. <coughs> it was because the government pays its public sector pe- workers' pensions out of today's tax receipts. Mm. The private pension retirement market is 10 times the public sec- size of the public sector market. It cannot support that. And if you tell people what they have to do with their money at retirement, you have more than a moral obligation to look after them. You have a legal obligation to look after them. That is not a legal obligation that this government or any British government at the moment can afford. That's why we have pension freedoms. The government has left the ring, <coughs> taken the ropes with them, and those of us who are left in the ring better understand the rules of the game. And those rules are very complicated because of all the tinkering we've had down the years from successive governments in the retirement markets. That's where financial advice comes in. People need financial advice. The market, the financial advice market, has been hit time and time and time again over the years. It is it is providing you know, a incredible social good. Now I think RDR and others actually has raised the bar. In the financial advice market in this country but people need financial advice so <clears throat> I think to, to Andy's point it is a valuable and people have to start realizing that financial advice is it's is the service a product in itself to be able to in, and guide people you will through you know, through this maze I don't think anyone's challenging that
4: though, are they? Think, It is I, the I, product I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah I think the question yeah. is whether an independent financial whether an independent financial advisors should be recommending products manufactured by its own firm I know, well, I, I, and what's I, your what's your what's your answer to I, that back to my point again about managing conflicts there is definitely a conflict i remember in the old days when i first started out as a training actuary it was you know better than best advice you yeah. in the old broker funds which were horrid but you know the obligation was you had to provide better than best advice and that to me would be a that term sort of makes sense if you, I, I you've got to go an extra can
2: step. i just see if
0: christian's got anything to I, say i, say I, on I this do discussion. I, I think
2: this is where the industry has actually come a long way if you look at structured products 10 years ago and the margins that were in structure products were incredibly high. Anytime we now pretty much issue a structure product, we will go out to three or four providers and keep everybody extremely on a tight margin. Now obviously that could be Credit Suisse, but it doesn't need to be. And it depends actually on counterparty risk, where you'd like to be, which bank. We now do customized solutions and the most majority, it's not Credit Suisse who we go to so that's where actually that open architecture i think the industry has really made some markable improvement based on customer i I really do believe because that was one area where there were very high returns for the industry 10 15 years ago and some clients are still i don't want to pay for it no actually the fees have really come down but stand back and look at the market the financial advice market in this country has dwindled okay it's lower than it was before and saying it's okay we'll you know yes of course you provide a great service under i know your proposition your platform everything but at the end of the day <clears throat> the market is the advisors um, are the fewer of them um, <clears throat> personal indemnity insurance is getting higher their costs and capital that they're having to provide is getting more yeah so if we just let that happen that industry will dwindle so we support independent advice thousands of independent advisors we deal with every day we support restricted advice a couple of thousand of av- advisors and our restricted proposition includes far more of other people's
1: solutions than our own yeah so, okay. so you see but yourselves as protectors of the advice market
2: well i say we're putting our money where our mouth is we're instead sort of just sort talking of moved about it on
0: to the next question about yeah. the value of advice yeah, yeah. we've sort of slipped into that it's yeah, yeah, so yeah. an interesting yeah. point uh, kind of maybe it
3: yeah. might help bridge the gap i don't know but there's um i think what you see is that, as far as i can see in the vi businesses and you can see it in advice groups that have gone into asset management as well, from maybe from a different starting mm-hmm. point, is that they seem to make inordinately more money in the product side than they do in the advice side. You know, I think if you look at the advice divisions of these businesses, they tend to wash their face if they're lucky or they lose money. Mm-hmm. And the asset management or product side makes a fortune. So that strikes me that the advice channel is being used almost to resist competitive pressure on asset management. Ooh. That's using it as a distribution Ooh. channel, right? Uh, for asset management. And, uh, you can see in lots, there, there are lots and lots of examples where this has occurred. Well, and can
0: you give some? You give g- lots of controversial well, the, the, statements. Well, the, the, one that's the
3: one that's very evident, I mean, it's reported, in, you've reported in the past, I'm sure, in SGP. I think uh, I think the profit margin in, in, the, in your business probably pulls much higher on the asset management business, the advice business. I think the same is true, probably in true potential. I think there's lots of examples. It's, it's, it's true in many, many instances. And I think you've got a situation where, that's fine, but let's recognise, in that instance, we're valuing the asset management, not the advice. Because we're saying the advice is yeah. that it can lose money forever, and we're okay with that as long well, as we get
0: the phone. So, so it's okay. I would say yeah. yes,
2: it's, it's an observation, but the, the weakest part of our industry yeah. for decades has been the part closest to the customer, mm. which is the financial advice part. It's been the weakest in terms of capital. Yeah. It's been the weakest in terms of support, weakest in terms of management support. <clears throat> um, and we rec- is rec- in terms of financial returns so we can just leave it that way mm. so it customer centric st- okay it is very customer centric completely was. so i would say, uh, yeah completely customer centric totally agree with that we in the space
5: because we're altruistic
2: no i'm not we, i'm saying yeah, <clears throat> these businesses do run on tight margins very tight margins because they're people businesses now no one in in, in quilter is pay- so do we pay our um, portfolio managers more because the margin is higher there or the margin is lower there. No, I can change the profit metrics in my subsidiary businesses in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. I can say to um, Quilter Investors, and the, we will just charge you um, 50% of all distribution fees. Your margin will go back down. It's just wooden dollars for me. It's wooden dollars because we're we're a holistic firm. It makes no difference, but nobody gets paid on the profit margin. When some, <clears throat> some of my you know, people, you know, on let's um, say the money management it's like, oh, I'm, we make X amount of profit. I said, don't ever say that to me again. You don't make any profit. You make a contribution to profit, and I, we can change that overnight. The only reason we don't have it is we're going to have an industry in in <clears throat> transfer charging. Mm-hmm. So when you own the full part of of yeah. the the customer's value value chain, the customer's value chain, then <clears throat> you can you can ensure that your remuneration systems do not match. Don't are not aligned to operating margins in in parts of your business lines you can change your remuneration completely yeah. okay and that's what we do at Quilter
5: so just two observations that I mean the first one is you're talking about um, VI and is the outcome acceptable and is it working as it should uh, you guys know this better than me. That as part of the uh, asset management market study, there was a platform review, wasn't there? And the platform review looked at VI, mm. but it didn't look at it thematically and in depth. Mm. But the FCA said, we are minded to say there is nothing for us to be concerned about. Mm. In the platform that market properly, market. Uh, not no, no. the asset management market. But uh, as a, for VI in general, my understanding mm. was they were not concerned about uh, detrimental outcomes mm. for, for customers yeah. who were going through that process. Mm. So. Maybe there's a a validation of of what Paul's saying. Mm. Uh, And then the other thing on on advice, so I'm I'm pure discretionary fund manager, very dependent on advisors, Uh, and there's often a bundled fee, as we know. And it's a platform fee, uh, an advice fee, probably some administration, a a RAP fee, and a DFM fee in there as well. The one fee that never moves down, quite rightly, is the advice fee. The advice fee seems to be the one that is more sustainable than anything else. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the investment content that we're providing nowadays is becoming increasingly commoditized. So the value in the investment solution, do you remember there were uh, investment managers who run a, a seg portfolio at 150,000 quid with a dedicated client manager. All that's going, everything is going to NPS. So I think you know, the, the, the advice part of the value chain will remain extremely important because you can sustain the margin at mm-hmm. that time.
4: No, no I, I think we all actually agree how important advisors are. And I think the only, the only sort of challenge is whether the vertical integrated model gives best value to customers. And the total cost of ownership normally will evidence that very, Just very clearly. Just one quick
5: anecdote. I put myself on a training course recently for IFAs and I was frightened to death. I mean, the, yeah. the level of knowledge. Yeah. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. There, yeah. Level and to be current, And as it keeps, oh, higher than yeah. that actually, and as it keeps changing with all the legislation and the, the
2: fear and the risk of getting any of that wrong yeah. to come yeah. back in five, ten years time yeah. uh, is, is frightening. Yeah. So one last thing on this, because it is a hobby horse for me. So, <clears throat> um, first of all, we're not. We support advice in all of its forms. We support, you know, we put hundreds of millions of pounds in the market to support independent financial advisors every day of the week and we will always, always do that. We do it for restricted financial advisors. We run the the, the restricted, if you like, solution is very wide but it's a quality assured proposition. When you walk into Waitrose you don't see 10,000 jars of jam. You might see five or six brands with different flavours at different price points but you know whichever one you choose is going to be quality and if it's not you don't have to go and find the manufacturer you just go back to Waitrose. Okay that's quality assured. I do have a a bit of a hobby horse that some platforms and I run a big platform Um, We call call them fund supermarket platforms, they've not been supermarkets, they've been warehouses. In a supermarket, you don't just get to put whatever product you want on the shelf, and this will change in this country. Increasingly, we're going to be responsible for the funds and solutions that are on our platforms. It's not going to be good enough just to say, well, some financial advisor or somebody wanted it on. We're going to start becoming
0: responsible for it. We're going to have to quality assure our propositions. Do you think so? That's interesting. Because of course, Arch Crew was on a lot of platforms, I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, well, well that's interesting so you're, you're are you are you saying you're where, these are, are you warehouses or supermarkets
3: uh, well I think that Paul's right is uh, there some the, curation the, the going fraud on? rules require us to be, have some greater diligence than as previous to the case on uh, mm. what's there and what's not I think um, qualities are very subjective. We'll talk about value for money, I think, in a little while. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a very difficult thing to measure and what's um, you know what's high quality is somebody will be will, be, will not to be somebody else. And it's also very hard to measure over time because it might be something that looks great just now. Lots of things have been on platforms in the past have been accepted into um, portfolios with a high profile example. I think you mentioned earlier on, uh, Lawrence at the start of this discussion, which would have been considered a high quality product, I'm sure well, uh, for years one. ago and turned out um, didn't work out as well for people as they maybe hoped.
1: Well, I was just, something that Richard said about um, um, we, we, I think we we established that the um, advice fee is is pretty solid. But what about wealth management fees?
0: Or oh, do, do, do you mean the same? Well, the discretionary, the investment, discretionary, piece, yeah, the
1: investment piece. How much pressure is um, are they under? I am. Um, I read a bit of research from um, it's a firm called New New Coro. I don't know if you know, of I don't them. know them. No. No. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll just mention yeah. what they said there: the, the growing regulatory and fee pressure. Yeah. Um, within discretionary fund management is causing um, wealth management firms to turn away smaller clients and focus on, on larger clients. And so the
5: definition of a small client is of course- I think sub 250, okay, sub sort of 250, okay.
1: and um, yeah. I think on average 72 clients were being turned away a year um, yeah. per firm. Yeah. 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 Um I think they, they surveyed about 55 firms, and um, I mean, is this, is, this, is this a pressure, is this
5: it, an I, issue? It, it's, uh, well, issue one thing, uh, pressure it is for, uh, for real. We feel it all the time and margins are only going in one direction. They're getting more and more uh, compressed. And it's what I just said. I think that the advent of commoditization in the industry is saying to the advisors, I can get a similar outcome at a much lower cost. I mean, what Andy was saying is OCFs then on uh, on Bell with your MPS um, solutions. I mean, the fastest growing uh, investment solution that we've got as a pure discretionary fund manager that grew up with lots of dedicated client managers with a portfolio of clients is Managed Portfolio Service and I don't know anybody else would identify that and I understand it and I get it and it's very important that we're in there and we're tailoring those so that the uh, the advisor firm has got um, some involvement in asset allocation and the and the overall structuring of the portfolio where they've got the right uh, permissions and we're white labeling them and so on um, and that is going out at 30 bps or, or less, um, compared with a core portfolio that might be up to 100 basis points plus whatever the underlying uh, underlying uh, investments cost. And I just think there's, it, it's a massive shift that the industry's not necessarily woken up to.
3: Is that 30 to... bps with the underlyings or 30 bps? Without the underlyings. Yeah,
5: okay. uh, so the, 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 the broker heritage traditional discretionary firms have got to think long and hard about their their construct and their operating model because they've got a lot of very expensive people in there and I think unless they're running uh, seg portfolios over two and a half three million and that number moves around the whole time uh, you, they're going to get commoditized out of the job and, uh, and, and the fee pressure is driving that very hard so what I'm trying to do in my world and I know a lot of my my peers are doing the same thing is just is to adjust Uh, for that scenario playing out with more intensity over the next few years. It is transforming how we operate.